1: You are listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your MoneyWise guys back inside the MoneyWise studio with me. Th- with me for this weekend show, I have my brother Jeff, Mr. Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the MoneyWise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our thirty-third year of business. And with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 275 Two one six two. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise@davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps, where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So, as we kick off every weekend's Moneywise program, I turn it over to my brother Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away.
2: Okay, in the week just past, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 1,940 points or 6.2%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 257 points or 6.6%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 777 points or 6.8%. Now for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 8.6%. The S and P 500 year to date is down 12.8, percent and the Nasdaq year to date is down
1: 22.5. Now, Jeff, you're so used to on a week over week basis saying the market was down, you almost you, you almost tripped up just a little bit. But this past week, the markets were up. In fact, it was the best week for the S and P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average for all of 2022 so far year to date.
2: I think we had eight. Straight down weeks for the Dow, or is that seven? It, and we broke it, those, broke the trend.
1: No, you were right. It was eight okay. straight down weeks for the Dow Jones Industrial Average and seven down weeks in a row for the SP 500 and the NASDAQ. So the streak was broken this past week. Uh, and not to rain on any listeners' parade, but I, and it's something I've been harping on a lot since we've gone through this. I don't even know if you want to call it a corrective period, more of a repricing to the Fed's monetary policy, but we're still seeing light volume. In fact, going back to the middle of March of this year, there's only been six trading days since the middle of March where we've seen trading volume above the daily moving average. So it's just showing just there's still – not a lot of conviction on the selling side, or an exorbitant amount of on uh, of people selling on the sell side or on the buy side. So, even though I'm the I'm typically a more bullish uh, asset manager, and Jeff's a little bit more bearish, and I think that's that works well for us, the yin and yang. And Joe is the uh, sometimes the moderator. Yeah, Switzerland. He he's he's the moderator. But I I would agree that when I see these volume levels, I'm still not convinced that the ultimate bottom is in yet because I want to see higher volume above daily averages on the sell side to kind of show a final capitulation. And I know a lot of the financial entertainment press, this is something that we've been talking about for weeks now. We've been talking about it here on the MoneyWise program for weeks. And so when we have these types of rallies, just be very careful. Just be very careful not to get lured in, saying the bottom is in, it's here, we can start buying whole hog. If you are in a position as an investor with an exorbitant level of cash and powder dry on the sidelines and you have a long-term investing time horizon, you maybe could start in and around here just very slowly, dollar cost averaging in, but just go in with the mindset that the bottom is most likely not in yet.
3: One, one thing I, I did want to note, volume is still pretty light this week, yes or no, Kyle? Well,
1: yes, that's what I
3: was just discussing. So we, we, still had a, we still had a 6% move in the market. So just even if – don't get too distracted sometimes with what volume does. You can still have a pretty significant rally despite volume. But to your point, you haven't had the institutional buyers coming in to give us the amount of confidence really to say, all right, we're through this now. We're just not seeing it. So what, what, well, I don't – what, sorry, what
1: volume is telling me is just, it's just continuous trading. So this, this is more of a traders rally. I think that we're seeing in and around here. Yeah, Jeff.
2: Well, I don't know that there was, we don't really know who was buying this, whether it was institutions, whether it was individuals, whether it was both, whether it was neither, it was machines. We don't know. The other thing about this week, it's a week before Memorial day. I don't really know if all the players were actually in the office uh, leading up to the Memorial day weekend. So that, so the people that were typically maybe might have been in on the sell side of things here of late, maybe they were out of the office. So there wasn't anything any selling going on. But to go to the point about don't be uh, don't be caught up in this big move and think that, that you know, that's ringing a bell that the bottom is in. We just just go back to the end of February uh, through the first two or three weeks of March. Uh, the s and p five hundred was was beating up about a, about a range of about forty two hundred and we thought well okay we've had we've had the market test forty two hundred now for you know three three straight times and then all of a sudden the s and p ran up to uh forty six hundred had about a ten percent move between the middle of march and the end of march into the into the end of the first quarter and the market has never gone back to where it started the quarter at we have never gone back to the where we closed on march the 30th it is just it has steadily just gone down so don't be fooled that we can have these you know these periods where the markets will test and test and test that bottom and you think oh well that was the ultimate the ultimate bottom it's way too early it's way way too early we've only had two interest rate increases and the news from this week with what came out in the Fed minutes is that the, the Fed is sending the message as clear, and I'm going to use that in quotations because not all all the time the Fed speaks that clearly. Uh, the, the 50 basis point moves are in the cards for at least, from the way I'm interpreting the, uh, what they said, at least the next three meetings, which push, pushes us all the way through late summer And gets us to what would that be? Two and a half percent on a Fed funds rate. They raised it three more times, two and a quarter somewhere in there, which some say is this magical neutral. Again, using that in quotations, this magical neutral stance. And I don't know that that two and a quarter, two and a half is actually neutral because there's a lot of inflation news between now and you know, three or four rate increases from now. And I don't know that it's that these three 50 basis point rate increases is going to slay the ugly head of inflation. Well, only time will tell. Well, let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money
1: Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to MoneyWise Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call at our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 275 if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Moneywise program, continuing our recap of the happenings of Wall Street from last week. Had a great rally week with the S&P and Dow having the best week so far for 2020. 22, breaking a eight-week losing streak for the Dow and breaking a seven-week losing streak for the S&P 500. But before we went to break, we were just really cautioning all of our listeners, all the investors out there, that when you have the kind of markets that we're having, and, and I would say that for the NASDAQ, obviously, it's in a bear market. You know, Joe and I, Jeff, we were having an interesting conversation before we recorded the show after the bell on Friday that if you took out the five largest um, market cap companies out of the S&P 500, if you remove those five companies, the big tech names that are in there that are a big percentage from a market cap weighting of the S&P 500, if you took those out, if the S&P would actually be in bear market territory right now, being down more than 20%. Didn't have a chance to look up that statistic, but I know that even as we were coming into this year, there was a good chunk of the S&P 500 stocks that were already in corrective uh, positions being down more than 10% from their 52-week high, even at the end of 2021. Because what was so interesting about 2021 is some of the, the, the five largest companies in the S&P 500 from a market cap weighting, over 50% of the returns of the S&P 500 was delivered by those five stocks alone. And so the performance of the S&P 500 in 2021 was a little misleading because if you took out those five stocks, the S&P 500 would have done less than half the performance that it did in 2021. And so when you have market conditions like this, where we're still going through this repricing of the increase of interest rates through Fed monetary policy, that you have these types of kind of rip your face off rallies, as we talk about here on the program, But don't let them lure you into a sense of security that the bottom is completely in because the thing that has just been concerning me for going back all the way to March is how light the trading volume is. Yeah, Joe.
3: Well, one thing I did want to notice, did want to note about this week, it started off on a positive note with Jamie Dimon and JP Morgan coming out and saying clouds over the US economy. May start to dissipate and with a more positive tone. But I think I'm trying to remember if I can recall a period of time where there's such a focus on earnings and the top and bottom line and forecasts. And I think what might have, at least my perception is, you know, with you have the Walmarts and the targets, I think some investors started looking at things and like, all right, everybody's going to use China and Russia as cover to a certain extent with inflation. And I think, to some degree, maybe I'm wrong. The market adjusted a little bit where they weren't nearly as hard on Nvidia because Nvidia used that as an excuse where our target or somebody else. Meaning, management matters and how some of these uh, these CEOs uh, of some of these companies um, handle their handle their business, you know, and how they manage their companies. It's a, it's a fundamental difference between every different stock and every different company and every different sector. And I think sometimes. We don't focus as much on management, especially in in an inflationary environment coming out of a pandemic, and some have done a better job than others, you know, and there's winners and losers, and if you're wrong, you get taken to the woodshed, but I think the market's adjusted to that a little bit, at least that's my take. Well, I, I would say that every company 's management is going
1: to be different, and they all have handled it differently, and the markets interpreted how their management style and the decisions that they 've made differently, you know going back to target as an example, where they brought in an overabundance of supply of certain products, and then the consumer behavior shifted, so it left them with with shelves packed full of product that they didn't have to slice prices on. And, and here's a classic example. This past week, I wanted to buy some summer shorts, which I haven't bought shorts since 2015, so Lord knows I needed some new shorts. Well, I went to the Gap, went online, and sure enough, I was able to buy shorts for $20 a pair, because they had all of these promotional codes that I put in that gave me almost 50% off of the price. And so we saw Gap's earnings come out this past week, and they got taken out to the woodshed. And what was interesting is that Gap and Old Navy were the aspects of the overall conglomerate company that didn't do very well, but Banana Republic, their higher end, retailer of the three companies within the Gap Corporation, did extremely well. And so what it's showing is some of these retailers, particularly that cater to the higher middle income and higher income type households, they've been doing quite well. Look at Ralph Lauren. You know, Ralph Lauren this past week, even though their num- their numbers were great, they weren't taken out to the woodshed or someone like an Ulta you know an ulta beauty which in the past we've owned in the portfolio so the beauty and skincare is still doing extremely well in this economy and you look like at a dollar tree or a dollar general that cater to the middle income and lower middle income and lower income earners they just absolutely knocked the cover off of the ball this past week where they were up double digits in one day this past week so it's 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 going to be company by company, by company. And so in this type of market environment, you have to do an exorbitant amount of work if you're going to be going in and buying individual stocks. You know, strategies that we've utilized in the past when we have these types of market conditions where each company can have its particular day in the barrel, as Jeff likes to say, from their earnings reports If you want to mitigate your risk, your best bet is looking at exchange-traded funds like the SPY for the S&P 500 or the QQQs for the NASDAQ to where you're not making a single company bet. If you don't have the time as an investor to really do the -the down-in-the-dirt deep research, because I can tell you that every single stock in our portfolio that we currently own has had hours of analytical work done before they were bought. and so. Most individual investors that are maybe doing it on their own, the home gamers, they don't have as much time to do this type of research. And in this kind of volatile market conditions, you're really rolling the dice on these individual stocks.
2: One of the things I want to kind of expand a little bit about what Joe was talking about management is I can almost make a comparison or an analogy, if you will, to managing money in a bull market. Um when there's when there's a bull market going on, uh it doesn't take a rocket scientist to make money. And when when the economy is doing well and when in, in inflation is low and interest rates are low, you could have a mildly incompetent management in a company and the company's still doing very well. It's when things start to turn when inflation gets very high and interest rates go higher, and now now their cost of capital is going up, and maybe they've overhired or they've overstocked. And if management wasn't keeping their eye on the ball, a mildly incompetent management becomes a totally incompetent management. And we had one of those (laughs) type of stock this year, Boeing. He totally Uh, read my mind. (laughs) We we got out of it. It There's clearly, well, what the heck's going on with these guys? And and the same thing happened on you know, money management. Now now that the the bull has turned, and I think it's a big bear. The jury's still out between Kyle and Joe. It's a steer. Uh, it, it's it could be a steer. The, the 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 real the 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 real nitty gritty work really happens in markets where they're declining or going sideways. That's where money management, real money management, can add value to a portfolio. That doesn't mean that a por- that, that a portfolio isn't necessarily going to go down in value, uh, the the in, in a in a bear or sideways market. It just means it's going to go down less. That's that's our job is try to keep the hole shallower, play defense. You know, the best defense, the best offense is a good defense right now. So I think the mildly incompetent managements are going to be exposed here in the next six months for more than just mildly incompetent because it's going to get things are getting tougher. They're going to have to make decisions about staffing. We're continuing to hear companies come out and say that they're slowing hiring at their companies. And I think there's going to be more of these types of announcements and all these jobs that have been accumulating, these millions of jobs, two jobs for every person looking for for work. Those are going to start to evaporate. Those numbers are going to start to come down. It, it's just a matter of time before some really noteworthy companies come out and say, well, we're slowing hiring or we're stopping hiring. Uh, we're, we're scaling back expansion plans. You know that Those types of announcements are coming, and those announcements are going to start coming in the month of June before the end of the quarter. We're going to start hearing about earnings warnings. We've been hearing from all the – Peripheral companies that we don't have any money in that have hardly any profits. No one, you know, we don't care about those companies. We're not invested. I care about the bigger cap companies that we do have money in, or maybe putting money in on the other side. When this bear market finally bottoms, sometime between, in my opinion, between now and the and the election, when we come back from the break, I'll continue. Okay, and we'll do that
1: after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Tuesday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your MoneyWise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2-1-6-2. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at DavidsonCap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast, Apple podcast, or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you, le- you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So I wanted to shift gears a little bit because I know that from last week, you know, great rally week broke the streak of losing weeks for the Dow and the S&P and the NASDAQ. And I know that Friday was definitely a very important point of data that came out from the economy. That's the PCE. Uh, the core PCE indicator, which is the gauge of inflation that the Federal Reserve pays attention the most, and it does strip out a lot of the volatile uh, components such as food, food and fuel. Say that fast five times, tongue twister. And there's some other economic stats, Jeff, that you had that you wanted to go into. So I'll turn it over to you.
2: Well, there was quite. So we, you can we had- hop into that. We really haven't talked much about economic statistics over the last few weeks, but this week just passed. There were quite a number of things, beginning with new home sales for the month of April, were down 16.6%. The year-over-year decline of 27%, uh, year-over-year decline in new home sales. The fourth consecutive month of new home sale declines. Joe, you had... I think you mentioned that you have some. You have a friend in the mortgage business, and he was talking
3: about his volumes. Yeah, the volumes are down, and you just you just hit it the nail on the head. I mean, mortgage applications are down sixteen percent year over year, and the and but with that, the the I believe the median price of, of buying a house is actually going down slightly. So, but that's that statistic is is sixteen percent that fewer mortgage applications year over year. It's a pretty significant drop. So.
2: The rate on a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage on on that average right now, and I'll just round it off, is about 5.5%. A year ago, it was around 3 That's Well, That's interest a
1: I mean, higher interest rates means higher mortgage rates, but from a historic standpoint, mortgage rates are still on the low end when you look go they, back 20, 30 years.
2: Yeah, I, I don't have I, – I couldn't give you an average mortgage rate for, say, the last 50 years. I I think I've said this a few times in the past when I bought my first home in 2003 uh the mortgage was 5%. So we're we've gotten over 5% several times since 2003. I think we did it in 06 07 during the housing boom and then they've trended they trended down until now they've trended back the other way as we said here in the last year we've gone you know from 3 to almost we, yeah, I would say it's you could pretty much bet the house uh, pun intended. That it's going to be six percent mortgage rates by the end of the year. So we would we will have doubled a thirty year mortgage rate in the span of uh, eighteen months. By the end, we we may be there by the end of the summer. Uh, and so that that definitely is going to have a slowing effect on that industry and what other industries are tied to that. Um, well, you know, all, but, but, all, you know, suppliers and you know, furniture and appliances and. All the things that go into a house. Now, on the flip side, you could say, well, if, if people decide that they don't can't afford a new home, they'll just fix up the one that they're in. And that might have a dampening effect on those those things I just talked about, that maybe those sales aren't going to be made in the new home sale. It'll be it'll be the sale will be made on the remodeling side.
1: But but one of the biggest issues we've had with the housing industry just across the country it was such a lack of supply because the pandemic caused a lot of builders just to kind of keep their powder dry, move to the sidelines and not build. So Possibly this slowdown could give a chance for these home builders that have very strong balance sheets that have lots of land that they could build on. And now as inventory and supplies start to rebuild now that the pandemic is behind us, this might allow the home builders to catch up to provide more of a supply, which could again help moderate the cost of homes and what could lead to prices starting to come down to a little bit more affordable level, even if the mortgage interest rates are going to be higher. Like you said, Jeff, possibly double by the end of the year because even a 6% 30-year mortgage is not going to be the end of the world. Now, for folks that have maybe owned homes in the past, in the last five or six years where they were used to four, four and a quarter, even 3.75%, obviously that's definitely a cost difference. But if they are upgrading, this, this could wind up being that kind of pause that refreshes the housing market, obviously, it's still too early to tell, and we'll know 12 to 18 months out. Uh, but but again, this could allow the home building industry to kind of catch its breath and catch up with how undersupplied we have been. But as we've always talked about and educated on this program, real estate is always local, so it's going to be different and different, you know, it's going to be different in your local markets because, you know, here in San Antonio, yes, some prices have come down, but it also depends on the neighborhood because we're getting the spillover effect of all the tech that has been going into Austin. And because of the pandemic, people driving working remotely, yeah, they've been driving up prices coming in from other parts of the country, keeping that supply extremely tight. Uh, and I did talk to a real estate agent in the Austin area not too long ago and I'm still selling like hotcakes, and it's still at elevated prices. And, again, good. one of my best friends from elementary school is getting ready to move from Arkansas to Austin, and it's tough sledding for him and his family to find a house.
3: Very so tough.
2: on uh, Wednesday we had durable goods that showed they were up four-tenths of a percent. Uh, on uh, Friday we talked about the PCE. Uh, we had the second. Also, had the second reading of first quarter GDP, uh, which was a little worse than it originally reported. They now revised it to a minus one point five. I think it was a previously minus one 4. Mm-hmm. Um, But but that, but that that whole negative GDP, the second
1: reading was all because of the trade imbalance. Uh, it was the basically the biggest contributor. So the markets didn't even bat an eyelash at that
2: second reading of first
1: quarter GDP being negative
2: 1.5. Personal income increased four tenths of a percent. Personal uh, consumer spending increased nine tenths of a percent. Uh, but there was a little statistic. I know you've been talking a lot about, you know, cash, Kyle, and people's cash in their bank accounts. and Yes. And, uh, you know, all that. And the savings rate in April was the lowest rate since 2008. Now, we can draw any conclusions we want from that. What What's happening so far, according to you know, this one view of the statistics, is that so much was accumulated, as we pointed out on many shows, that there is a, you know, how long is it going to take for this accumulation of cash in savings accounts that occurred during the pandemic, how much does that cushion get cut down because of this because of inflation and that's that's a big question mark but it's it's interesting that that the savings rate was the lowest uh, that it had been since two thousand and eight now uh, well, let me I, let yeah. can, I, can
1: I, I just want to expand on that because if you're looking at the m one money supply going back to February of 2020 it was around four hundred billion dollars now you go to may of 2020 that increased to 1.6 trillion now you get over to april of this year it's at it's at 2.6 trillion dollars that is sitting in savings accounts money markets checking accounts so even though as you mentioned that the savings rate has come down to your point jeff There is still a ton of cash that that was saved during the pandemic, a huge spike in the amount of money saved. And if you look at the N1 money supply chart, yes, there is starting to be a little tail that's going down. And so the $64,000 question is how high is inflation going to be? How long is it going to run? And how much is this savings going to be sustained? But when you go from $400 billion to $2.6 trillion, from February of 2020 to April of 2022, uh, there's a long ways to go to get back to the long-term trend of the M1 money supply. So I'd say there's quite a bit of savings of the American consumer to hopefully sustain them through this higher inflationary period. And when you go and you look at the PCE, the core PCE, coming down to 491 it's 4.91%. We saw an increase, a decrease month over month of 5.57%. So we're seeing that core PCE finally starting to come down, and it's hit its peak, and we're going to see how much faster it drops because if you look at the historic average or the long-term average of the core PCE, it stands at 3.21%. So we're not that much higher above the long-term average of the core
3: PCE. I want to make a quick comment. So Friday, the average uh cost for a gallon of gas was four sixty. So Jeff was talking about balance sheets. If you look at the average household balance sheet and the savings rate, how long is it gonna take? I mean, I Kyle, I know you have a truck. I have a truck, Jeff has a truck. And if you look at Middle America and 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 most of America, how long is it gonna take for that to act? It's already we're already feeling the impact. What I'm getting at is Yes, there's a tremendous amount of money that's been put away in savings, but eventually that's going to run off your household balance sheet if we got to keep filling up at four sixty a gallon. But I don't have well, an EV, I don't have a hybrid. My wife does. Well, it but-
1: it, it 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 will, Joe. But again, that is the sixty four thousand dollar question. Nobody truly knows how much all of this XX savings is going to last because inflation is eating away at it. I'm not going to sit here and say that it's not, but is more cash saved that we'll be able to sustain. And this is an important conversation because it all leads to the Fed and their monetary policy. So let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson, Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after this. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at DavidsonCap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you, you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program, we're in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. If you're with us through the commercial break and sorry I got a little deep in the technical weeds going into the M1 money supply and PCE course. PCE and all of that. The reason why we were talking about it, because all of this data, all these data points are kind of mixed into a stew that goes into helping the Fed make the decisions when it comes to monetary policy. And we know that the repricing of the market that we've seen all of this year because of the higher inflation, because of the more hawkish Fed, a lot of these data points were going into that for them to be making the decisions. Now, I know Jeff had mentioned earlier in the show what he took away from the Fed minutes, uh, the Fed um, notes from last month's meeting, is that he's he kind of read that we're going to see three 50-point or 50-basis-point increases over the next three meetings. I personally feel that we're going to see a half a 1% increase in June, one in July, and I have a feeling that when we get to the Jackson Hole meeting of the Federal Reserve in late August, that they could be pivoting to more of a dovish tone. That's, That's my call. take. That's my call. And and I, I read an article in Market Watch from the Wall Street Journal earlier this past week, where another economic uh, uh, analyst made that exact same prediction. So he must have listened to the last weekend's Money Wise program because I said it this exact thing on last weekend's show. So again, only time will tell if that occurs.
2: All right. So I want to just go over the minutes. Just some summary points from the Federal Open Market Committee minutes from the uh, May 3rd and 4th, May 3rd through 4th meeting. Uh, they all agreed that a half percentage rate, interest rate hike was appropriate. Like We already learned that previously. Uh, the participants agreed the U.S. economy was very strong. The labor market was extremely tight and inflation was very high. The participants agreed that the Fed should expeditiously quote unquote, move monetary policy toward a more neutral stance and that a quote restrictive stance on policy may well become appropriate, meaning going above the whatever that equilibrium number is, whether it's between two, two and a half, or or go to a more restrictive stance, which would probably be something over three percent on on a Fed funds rate. The participants of the Fed saw the Ukraine conflict, China's COVID lockdowns posing heightened risks with particular challenges to restoring price stability while maintaining a strong job market. So meaning as long as China is still doing their COVID policy and we still have the war over in Ukraine, inflation is going to be a moving target. Most many participants judge faster removal of policy accommodation would leave the Fed well positioned positioned to assess later this year whether further adjustments were needed. So that's maybe to Kyle's point, they could get to whatever this neutral stance is quicker, then they would have an opportunity to become more quote unquote, if Kyle was saying dovish later this year. I think it I think they raise interest rates up to the midterm elections, which which would take them in you know into September, uh, all participants supported the plans to reduce the Fed's balance sheet. And uh, participants said that first quarter twenty two GDP decline contained little signal about subsequent growth, meaning they're ignoring it, which is pretty much and what so the is market has done.
1: Yeah, market ignored it as well. They're not.
2: They're not. They're not concerned about this negative GDP number that uh, for the first quarter this year that's been that we've again heard about this in the week just past.
1: Well, I just wanted to shift quick gear, you know, for for Anyone that's, again, knowing what you own in your portfolio, if you still find yourself in a position where you're still uncomfortable with the level of allocation that you have to stocks, and if we have a kind of continuation of this past week's rally going into next week, uh, obviously we have a holiday Monday for Memorial Day, so the markets will be closed, and we'll have one trading day left for the month of May going into June. Now, I have read... Um, from several different analysts that there is rumors that are being floated around. There could be up to $250 billion of rebalancing that could be taking place across mutual funds and potential exchange traded funds in the month of June. So we might have the potential to see some type of June rally. But, again, based on the technical data that we're seeing, I'm still in the camp that I don't think the bottom is in just yet. So if you're in a position in your portfolio where you're still feeling uncomfortable with your equity exposure, your stock exposure being too high from an allocation standpoint based on your risk capacity and your risk tolerance, then you can use these types of rallies like this past week or, to get again, if we continue to see a rally continuing into next week, to kind of lighten your positions. And so, you know, don't don't just pass them by and think that everything is over and everything's hunky-dory because like Jeff said and we're all saying on this program, the Fed has more interest rate increases to do. And inflation is still high even though it is coming down and it's moving in the right direction, it's still elevated.
2: Yeah. I, I would say don't be fooled by these these big rallies. We had a 10% rally at the at the end of the uh, first quarter. Took us right up, right up to April one, and we've done nothing but go down since. And the, and, and I'm looking at the S and P. That the Dow and the Nasdaq would be about the same. So we've had a six, basically, week over week. Last Friday was the closing closing low for the year. Mm-hmm. Last, not the Friday we were talking the the previous Friday, two weeks ago. And it's. We were only up. What we, were, we had a six point six percent rally, and then we had a ten percent rally at the end of uh, at the end of March. Rallies in bear markets are not unusual. You can go back and look at every one of them; they all have them. But things haven't changed. Here's the one thing to me that's still very, very important. And I asked Kyle this question. We only have a little bit of time left. What is the what was the price to earnings ratio of the S and P five hundred? At the end of the day on Friday, and Kyle told me, I'm just rounding it off here, it was about 21. Correct. Okay, so 21, just that's not going to cut it. We can't have a 21 PE and 6 7% inflation and the Federal Reserve not on our side. That doesn't work. That number has to come down. We have to get into the teens. And the only way that we're going to get into the teens is prices have to come down or earnings have to go up. Now, are, are anyone going to say that we're we're going to have higher earnings at the end of the year that we're going to have 10% earnings growth from here? I just don't think so. So that means prices have more to go. That's my take.
1: That's Jeff's take. And we'll we'll end it on that note. I wish I could go out with a little bit more sunshine, but just again, you know, know what you own. Check your allocations. If you're unsure, you give us a call at Davidson Capital for that portfolio review and analysis. And we're going to go to the top of the hour break, so we'll take the break, go into the news. And when we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Money
1: Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. And we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 906- Zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. And if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And if you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website, again, at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise shows. And you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of the homepage of our website, again, at davidsoncap.com. As we're in the second hour of the weekend's Money Wise program, we always like to use the second hour for investor education. And... There was an article, Dad, that you came across, and it's a topic that we've talked about on this show time and time again. Uh, really, how savers are being penalized because of the historically low interest rate environment that we've found ourselves in over the last several years, the zero interest rate policy from the Federal Reserve.
4: More than six now. Well,
1: yeah, really <laughs> going back to the Great Recession, which ended. And just to repeat to all of our listeners, the recession ended March of two thousand and nine. Or excuse me, June of two thousand nine. That March was the March two thousand and nine was the proverbial low, low generational the low of the stock market, but the recession ended in June of two thousand nine, although I think there was a poll that was done by Fox News not too in long May, ago in May that stated that what was it, sixty or seventy percent of
4: the I think it was more than sixty percent of the respondents believe we're still in a recession.
1: And we're not. We're not in a recession, just to reiterate that. they
4: personally may feel feel as if they are, and that's That's part of what drives articles like this.
1: Well, this article was written by Scott Burns, um, who is a former columnist for the Dallas Morning News. News. He is retired, but the title of the article is Low Rates Take High Toll on Retirement. I want to read some excerpts out of this article because, again, this I think is going to spark, I wouldn't say a debate, but it's definitely going to spark a conversation that, you know, there were some good things in this article, but there are some things in this article. If I was talking to Scott Burns now, I would, I would be asking him a little bit deeper questions and for him to go into a little bit greater explanation of some of the things that he said in this article. But from the article, no one knew, no one knew it at the time, but the 80s were the golden age of retirement. Pensions were, gener- were generous back then. Whether you invested in stocks or bonds, the proverbial win was at your back. Both provided handsome annual returns. Many retirees found themselves with more money, a higher standard of living, than they had enjoyed while working. Who knew? No one had a clue about how good things were. Retirement will be more difficult the next thirty years than in the last thirty years the returns on stocks and bonds are expected to be lower in the future than they have been in the past many provided a yield of four percent and the long-term average yield has been about three percent today's stock yields are lower than two percent the same thing happened to bonds while you could typically rely on u.s. treasuries to yield about five percent in the past the current yield on the 10-year treasury is a bit over 2%. Those two factors suggest that a typical balanced portfolio of 60% stock, 40% bond, which could be expected to provide an 8% annualized return in in the long term in long term past might now expect be expected to return 6%, meaning that a 30-year portfolio survival rate has moved from 94% to 77% because of the low interest rate environment that we're in and the expected future rates of return of the market. But here's, you know, here's some things that I'd want to I'd say. Well, let me say something okay, first. Okay, sure. Let me, Go ahead. Let, let
4: me get my thought in here. Okay. First of all, the 80s was not the golden years to retire. You retire when you retire. Now, the vast majority of people that retired in 1980 are probably no longer alive today. Would that be fair to say? Yes. And I'm sure if we went back and talked to these people, they would not feel that they retired in the golden age of retirement, considering the fact what the stock market has done since the 80s and what inflation rates are today versus what they were then. Then the inflation wolf was firmly at the door. We had suffered tremendously under the Carter administration in the 70s, the area of oil shock of the 70s, the fact that energy costs were doubling and tripling, utility costs were just sky high. In 1987, if you were a retiree, you would have suffered a decline in one day of more than 20% in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. I don't think anyone would have said October was the golden age to be retired. October of '87 would have been the golden <laughs> age. So Scott Burns was writing for the Dallas Morning News in that time, and I just happened to be managing portfolios in Dallas at the same time. And I was dealing with the individuals who were retired, and I was talking to these people. And I can say with certainty that their feelings towards the future was no different than it is the people we talk to today. They did not believe they had enough money to live comfortably, and they were concerned about outliving their money. The rising cost of health care was very much present in their lives, and we are so much farther along in our health fitness today as we opposed to then. We did not have all the treatments for hearts and cancer that we have today. So it was not the golden age of retirement retirement is retirement you're only going to retire once you can't go back and say hey i wish i would have retired just to show you how silly that statement really is i know that when i worked for central power and light in the early 70s they told me that my retirement when if i stayed so night till I was sixty five, they projected that I would be getting twenty two thousand dollars a year, almost as much as a vice president was making at that time. And wasn't that going to be a wonderful retirement? Well, no. I get more than that today in Social Security. I couldn't live on twenty two thousand dollars a year. That was not the golden age of retirement. And,
1: and, and that's and that's the one thing that I would I would kind of take Scott Burns to task about in this article. Is that everything is relative in its specific time? Yes. Everything That's is relative. What I'm exactly. When, when you were at CPNL way back in the early 70s, making 22000 a year, you're thinking, wow, back no, then. No, no, I was just trying to make ten. dollars no, 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 no. I'm saying as far as retirement, yes. you're thinking to yourself, wow. Wow,
4: I mean, I'd be on easy street.
1: Wow, exactly. And, and so, again, going back to this golden age of, retire, of retirement 30 years ago, you, know, you have to look at a lot of different factors 30 years ago. Sure, 10-year treasuries were paying 12 13, you know, percent 14%, but where was monetary inflation? And we're going to have to pause right there to hold that thought and come back because I want to dig a little bit deeper into this article and, again, talk about how retirement is relevant and the point of time when you're actually retiring and looking in the rearview mirror is not a good thing. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 9060070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing this article from Scott Burns, Low Returns Take High Toll on Retirement. And as we were going into the break, I was just making a point that. Retirement and what's going on in the market, the economy, inflation is relative at that point in time in which you're retiring. And to look back in time, to look back 30 years like Scott Burns was was looking and saying in this article – how it was so much better to retire 30 years ago. And I'm thinking, wait a second. Monetary inflation was almost double digits. Sure, you're getting 14% in a 10-year treasury, but wasn't in some instances inflation higher than a lot of treasury bonds, so you were actually getting a net negative return? Remember the 18, net of inflation? 18% car loan yeah, exactly. I an
4: 82 citation.
1: Exactly. You know, double-digit mortgage rates, so... Again, even though he talks in this article how stocks had higher dividend yields and the bond market was paying higher interest rates and higher interest levels, where was monetary inflation you know What, what was the actual net return was, after you take this out negative. It was negative so if you look today and, and we know that everyone 's inflationary rate is different it 's the same tr- it 's it's a true statement today. As it was 30 years ago, as it was 50 years ago. Everyone's inflationary rate's different. The government puts out their statistic, but if you've got kids in college, you know what your inflation rate is. You're a high consumer of health care, you know what your inflation rate is. So the government statistics are a lot of times meaningless to the individual in retirement. But I would say back then, inflation was a lot worse well, than it is today. And, and even though we have, let's say, a 2.3% 10-year treasury based on the governmental statistic of two percent inflation, you're actually net positive net of inflation. Which
4: wasn't the true any time in the eighties. That's right. The late seventies or eighties. Now one other point I totally forgot is that there was no four hundred one K plans in the sixties and seventies. That's right. So if you change jobs, which most young people do, if you left Westinghouse and went to work for CPNL. You left CPNL and went to work on Wall Street. Every time you changed, whatever your defined benefit plan was, you got nothing. Nothing transferred. It wasn't until the 401K was created in the 80s where I was able to start putting money in and getting matching funds from my employer, which eventually led to the 401K that I was able to use to start the company. So if we go back today, as, as young people jump jobs and change jobs, if they will carry their 401K with them, not worry against it, and continue to keep their funds, their retirement would be substantially better. Very big point. And, and, and because the only way you had a really good retirement in the 60s is if you spent 35 years with the same company. You, you had which, to stay. Which you could do. Now, now today, what you will find, at least this is what I find, people my age, the people who have worked for the federal government or work for the school systems right now tend to have the better retirements because they didn't have Social Security. Their money went into this Texas teacher's retirement, so they actually have pretty good retirements versus their peers and were able to retire earlier because of that, and so... But but you know what they get though dad now? Your TRS. They can do
1: external saving through payroll deductions into 403Bs on top of their TRS. Yes. So so their I retirement do- I hope
4: they're doing that. Well, uh,
1: one of our newest clients did that and has set themselves up for a very comfortable retirement because they paid themselves first, but they went above and beyond what the state was providing them. And they've they've amassed a very nice nest egg because of that. So the, the for teachers and municipal, their retirement plans are even more lucrative because they can do stuff outside the so, traditional pension. So the pension. funny
4: thing today, what I would say to Scott Burns, more flexibility. I would say today would be more the golden age of retiring than would have been in the 70s, 60s, and 80s. Unless you had stayed with one company your entire career. Then you might have had a very comfortable retirement. But even then, the odds of you staying with the same company 35 years, I don't know what the stats were, they would be more then than today, but it still wasn't that great. And the other thing that you would find in the 80s is the blue-collar worker would not have the retirement of the white-collar worker. Today, that is different. We see time and time again, if, if a worker is saved, whoever he works for through the 401k plan, he can build a substantial nest egg, he or she, and can retire comfortably as an executive could have back in the 60s, 70s, and early 80s. So everyone has the opportunity today. This gets back to why we would say to the Obama administration, as we said to the Bush administration, if we could do away with Social Security and go to a national pension where people could put money in to a pension plan, the whole country would be better off in retirement, and articles like this would not have to be written. But here's the thing. I think he's only calling it the
1: golden age, Dad, because of the rates of return of these particular asset classes, but again, when when you look at it at its point in time when these returns were made it wasn't really any different than what it is today (laughs) and in in fact we just said that if you're looking at fixed income and a two percent inflationary rate and you can get two point three percent in a ten-year treasury you're actually net three-tenths of one percent positive above inflation where back in the eighties you weren't so he's only calling it the golden age because yields were higher in the stock market well where was monetary inflation Yields were higher in fixed income market. Where was monetary inflation? So that doesn't make sense to me, Scott. And and the other other point of this is where he's talking about the survival rate of a portfolio went from 94% to 77% based on what withdrawal rate. What are we talking about here? It, you said it before <laughs> we were commercial break. You don't pull any money out of it. It has a 100% survival rate. It has you a just survival
4: it, rate. You may not like the returns, but it's not going to go to zero. It's not
1: going to go to zero, but, but it, it's all relative to what your withdrawal rate is. That's why it's such a key as you're working towards retirement, as you're getting a couple of years out, to start what I call do financial road mapping, where... And this is something that we provide to to our clients here at Davidson Capital Management as part of our services is you know getting an, an idea of what your expenses are going to be, and, and really the expenses need to be relative. Close, if not identical, or maybe even a little more than what you're currently spending today. Because I say to every client or prospective client, the one thing you have more of in retirement is time, and you have more time to travel, more time to do things, and to get out and actually spend. So when I hear financial planners or read articles saying you need seventy to eighty percent of your current income at current annual income to survive in retirement, hogwash. No way. You need a hundred percent, if not a little bit more, because you have more time.
4: Unless you're going to be ex- Extremely frugal,
1: and again, I think if if you're used to eating steak two times a week, you're not going to go to eating PB and J two times a week or rice and beans. You're going to want to continue to maintain that lifestyle.
4: Peanut butter and jelly, yeah, PB and J. So you had me going there. How'd you call
1: them a PB and J? Trying to figure out
4: what. what yeah. Is, yeah,
1: you're not going to go eating peanut butter and jelly just so you can retire. So if you're not sitting down and figuring out what your monthly budget is, and you don't take a look at the value of your nest egg and and determine and figure out what kind of annual withdrawal rate am I going to have to draw off this nest egg in order to cover my living expenses and if they're not matching up I mean, if you're having to pull 8 9 10 11% it's not going to survive no it's I not assur- going to survive I, I, I can assure there you of that there is no
4: money manager that's, that's going to be able to able, do that be able to do that and, and not do it prudently i mean if they're going to go you go with 100% stocks uh, you want not always. You can't do that. Not even a 100% stock. And, I, and no, again, I'm saying yeah. to get that kind of return, you're going to have to be 100% stock. And, and, again, that's extremely,
1: extremely dangerous if now you've taken yourself out of the workforce. And so if you find yourself doing this exercise and realizing that you're having to pull out high percentages in order to cover your expenses, one, you've not saved enough. Two, you haven't gotten your expenses low enough. And the one thing as we preach here at Davidson Capital is that the only thing you can control, the only thing you can control in retirement is discretionary spending. You can't control your health. You can't control taxes. You can't control the rate of return in your portfolio. You can only control your discretionary spending. And if your discretionary spending is out of whack... You have to get it back in line in order to maintain your nest egg. So this going back to this article, a thirty year portfolio survival rate because of the averaged annualized rates of return today than where they were thirty years ago reduces a survival rate from ninety four percent to seventy seven percent, based on what, Scott? You're being a little vague here. Let let's get let, let's get into the nitty gritty and figure out what the withdrawal rate is. Don't just say that rates of return were better in the eighties. Well, yeah, he's, he, he's, not
4: real rates of return. But
1: he's looking at everything as a, in a vacuum, as opposed to being more in relatively speaking, you know, in today's time. It's not this doesn't happen in a vacuum. And the one thing that he also forgets: population growth was a lot smaller back then. We're continuing to grow. You know Where interest rates are going to be a year from now, let alone 10 years from now, I can't tell you. I have a feeling they're going to be higher, but I can't promise you that. I would think, well, Janet Yellen, as an educated man, they're going to be higher. I
4: think you can say with certainty Janet Yellen will not be chairman of the <laughs> Federal Reserve in 10 years.
1: That's right. Well, we got to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So kind of getting back to this, low returns takes high toll on retirement article from Scott Burns. And as I was saying before we went to the bottom of the hour break, again, he's just kind of looking at things in a vacuum and not realizing that... Inflation was different back in the 80s. Yes, rates of return were higher. Valuations on company stocks were lower relative to today. Population was smaller. Um, I mean, again, it's... Retirement is relative based on the point in time you're currently in. You're only and retire the one time. That's, that's it. right. And you can't say Pick that because, the because dividend yields and as interest rates. market returns. Yeah. Are. Sorry. The dividends and interest rates. Were higher back in the 80s made it a better time and because of defined benefit plans. But, Dad, you just completely crushed, yeah, I mean crushed that point in this article yes. because you didn't get to take your defined benefit plan with you. So you either put your cement shoes on at the employer of choice that you were at and spend your career and, there, or you lose your retirement, where today – you can move from job to job and continue to climb the corporate ladder while taking your retirement assets with you via the 401K. So the 401K has given employees a lot better upward mobility.
4: Yes, and, Absolutely. And, and, and
1: flexibility to go from either one career path to the other or make changes and not be stuck in a dead-end job that they were miserable driving to every single day. Because they're like, well, I've been here 15 years. Well, I don't want to lose my quarter million dollars pension I
4: have. I, I don't want to tell you how many people i talked to, and I'm not singling out L, but I'm just saying there were people there that were counting the days. You know, they had seven more years to go. I mean, it was almost like a prison sentence. They, they put X's <laughs> on, <Yeah. laughs> on, on, they on their did. typical wall. They did, Kyle. I, I make, I, I mean, literally, they were in, you know, they knew that they had six or seven more years to go. They were counting the days. They were miserable. It was name, rank, and serial number. They were entrenched in their position. They didn't want to change anything because they, I mean, what could they do? just think coming up to where you would be funded where if you lost this or how much it would affect your retirement I mean uh, one of the things that working at a public utility was the fact that you had this job security and for that you gave up a lot of flexibility. But it wasn't just about that one company. It was all the companies back well, I mean, then. Yes, I'm just singling it, it, out what I it, observed yeah, what, what personally. You're observed.
1: And I'm sure that was observed by many other people and many other professions and many other corporations at that point in time. And so with the invention and the advent of the 401K, it's, it great. Is, it's great. And it's given... S- everyone in this country a lot more flexibility and mobility when it comes to their career Absolutely. and choosing that career yes. path. So again that's
4: not that be the golden age.
1: Would that be the golden age? No. And and yes, we're in a lower return environment. When you're running when I run hypotheticals doing the financial road mapping, yes, I'll run it on a five percent return, six percent return, seven percent annualized return. I will run it on those numbers and I will run it based on different withdrawal rates for that particular client just to see how long this money will last but again even those models are just it's just math that is not going to predict the future because no one knows what the future holds for this market that's why we always preach on this radio show and again one reason why we hate annuities with such a passion is that you have to maintain flexibility in retirement. You have to stay mobile, nimble, flexible to be able to make adjustments and changes because the one guarantee on Wall Street, the one guarantee, is change.
4: It's going to fluctuate.
1: It's going to change, and it changes every single second. And so you have to have a portfolio that's actively managed, actively managed, not set it and forget it and a portfolio that has liquidity and flexibility to make those changes. Because even, you know, take your portfolio, let's set your portfolio aside. Just talk about life. Life can change in the blink of an eye for yourself. And so you have a health crisis. You have a family issue. You need to get a hold of money. That's why maintaining flexibility, being malleable, is so incredibly important, and Over time, as far as valuations are concerned, yes, they'll regress back. You know, He talks about regressing back to its mean when he talks about stock valuations. Let's talk about regressing back to the mean return of the markets themselves because we have yet to regress back to the mean or the average rate of return of the S&P 500 for a 100-year time span since the financial crisis. We have yet to regress back to that average return. Still today, we're still around 6 6.5%, when prior to the financial crisis, we were more along the lines of 10 to 11% historically. So he was talking about regressing back to valuations. Well, guess what? In a bull market, stocks are going to be a little overvalued,
4: are they not, Dad? That's what a bull market means. That's what a
1: bull market means. And again, when you look at the 10-year Treasury rate, Yes, it's paying more than monetary inflation. If your monetary inflation, personal inflation rate, is the governmental statistic, which I know it's not, but compared to where it was in the 80s, there was no comparison because you lost to monetary inflation in the 80s. So golden age, Scott?
4: No way. No way. Because the the key now is a young person who has the 401k plan Changes jobs a number of times, can keep the 401K. Has control over has the investments. Has over the investments, has matching coming from the employer. Think how much money I would have got from Westinghouse, from L, from Bation Company, from if, you the, could take it. if I could have taken it with me. Mm-hmm. The funny thing was, because of the settlement, when they closed out one of the banks I worked for in the 80s, they were forced to give me an annuity now it's a pittance that comes in every month but it you know that's the only company of all the companies I work for that I get anything because all those years all you those years I worked we're lost we're lost we're lost and and
1: you know again you know, there was a point I was going to make, and it just escaped me. I'm having a senior moment now. I'm having a senior moment now. Well, you're
4: approaching 40.
1: Well, yeah, that's right. It's, 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 not, it's only a handful of months yeah, away. It's,
4: not, it's around the corner. The, the mind is a terrible thing. Yes, you're, you'll be over the hill. I'll be over the hill. But,
1: you know, again, when it, when it comes down to your retirement, maintain flexibility. Don't get sucked into sales pitches for guarantees or this false well, sense of security because some salesman says that this is a great thing to well, do.
4: I mean, the popularity of target date funds, which go we felt with I know what for I was six or seven say. years. Now, this year... All of a sudden, we've got this move on, well, let's get our expenses down. All we got to do to really maintain good returns and get our expenses down, do nothing but indices, uh, you know, let's, let's just turn this money over to this computer and they're going to run my money in this computer really inexpensively. You've thought of it. Uh, it. It hit
1: me. Here's something else that's vastly different today than in the 80s. Access to information, access to research. Yes. Any individual investor can do this on their own. They can. And I know we're a registered investment advisor. We're a professional money manager. And I'm telling you, you can do this on your own. You do have the tools available to manage your assets on your own. You can go completely alone. You don't need anybody. You've got discount brokers out there that can be there to, to be a sounding board for you. And you've got research tools out the wazoo. But because of the speed of the markets, the volatility of the markets, how complex the markets are in this day and age, a lot of investors choose not to. And that's what we would recommend because you really have to be sitting on that wall 24-7, 365 days a year and actively manage it and have the skill and ability and have the experience of being in the trenches to know cause and effect of different events either in the economy, geopolitics, or markets to have to be successful long term and as we say if you can manage your portfolio part time and beat a professional manager you know we'd like to hire you
4: yeah well are you need you to go out on your own or you need
1: to go out on your own if you can do it part time and be successful because of the speed of movement but Back in the 80s, uh, you had the Wall Street Journal. No way. You didn't have research tools. You didn't have access to these charts and the technical data that you can have access to today. And if you wanted access to that technical data, how much would that have cost? I mean,
4: Lots a lot of money. of money.
1: Lots of money. Nowadays, you can go to bigcharts.com. You can go to Morningstar. I mean, there is a well, treasure can... trove of websites that you can go to to do your own research and your own Monte Carlo analysis, your own backdated and testing of
4: portfolios. You could all for all these annual meetings that they have. I mean, you can listen in and hear the management. Conference calls. Conference calls. We had conference calls because we were running money. You couldn't, as an individual, be involved in that conference call. Yeah. Now everything is an open book. I mean, if IBM scratched, we knew about it. <laughs> because 10 analysts would call because of the kind of money we were generating, kind of commissions we were generating. Yeah. So did we have inside information? No. No. But we had information first. We were one of the original calls.
1: Mm -hmm. They called you guys first
4: with information. Because because we generated commissions for them. Well, and that's when you were managing pension assets and trust assets.
1: So, again, with today's technology, there's just so much more information and so much more education that's available to individual investors But as we say, if you're that investor that doesn't want to make those decisions, doesn't have time to manage their assets in this volatile market environment that's going to continue to be like this for the rest of your life, that's when you need to seek the professional asset management skills of an RIA or a Davidson Capital Management to be able to actively manage those assets to make sure your portfolio lasts a lifetime. Well, let's take our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, or even a show idea, something you'd like to learn concerning Wall Street that we can help cover, send those emails to moneywise@davidsoncap.com. So wrapping up this article, and I I don't want our listeners to think that we were just bashing on Scott Burns. That wasn't the point. It's just his article, I think, sparked a debate because, yes, the statistical return numbers he was giving in the article were accurate. But he's assuming that everything is done in a vacuum and not looking at the world at that particular time when these retirees were saying adios to to working 9 to 5. And, and not taking into account where inflation was, and, and, and again, to say that the 80s was the golden age, or 30 years ago was the golden age, we disagree with. And I think that what really should have been taken away from the article is it should be preparing investors for lower rates of return over the medium term, because I can't tell you what earnings growth is going to be two, three, four, five years from now, or where interest rates are going to be two, three, four, five years from now, I think interest rates are going to be higher uh, i can 't tell you where monetary inflation is going to be. I can tell you that average monetary inflation going back to the late 50s average is around four percent is around four percent and right now we 're right at two one between one point eight and two percent according to the government and again i don 't trust them with those numbers as far as I could throw them, but everyone again everyone 's inflationary rate is different. But here's one thing that has changed over the last 30 years. More corporations have come into existence. Technology, both be it computer, hardware, software, biotechnology, new companies, new ideas, innovations that were not even thought of 30 years ago are, are, have been developed and are continuing to expand and increasing the pace of future developments because of technology. We've seen explosive population growth. We have seen economies that were fledgling to becoming more developed economies. And we've gone from... Being on an island, maybe by ourselves, back in the '80s. I mean, Dad, I was a little boy. You'd have to tell me if the U.S. I mean, we're always going to be the number one superpower. But from an economic standpoint, was it kind of the U.S. and everybody else?
4: Well, I mean, that's the way I looked at it. I mean, we, we seems to, you know, we still always seem to be the head of the dog, so to speak.
1: And so now we're seeing economies around the world developing and getting stronger and getting bigger, and it becoming a world economy. Well, well in
4: the '80s, you know. Japan was thought to be a threat to the United States, just like China is thought to be an economic threat today. We're talking economic threats. I said economic threat. Okay, just want and to so. Mention. And so, as I said, I look at China differently because of because your age. Because, because of your because age, of my age in the Korean War. The fact that was the first thing I can remember. So they were the enemy. So nothing has changed. That you know, I I don't trust them. Never will trust them. You know, there were people from World War II that had the same problem with the Japanese, rightfully so. Think about it. So so you can understand in the 80s, these people weren't feeling very comfortable about Japan. So these things, the market is always the same. It is greed and fear, but it's always different. It's always growing. There's more flexibility. There are vast more choices today. Of where to invest than there was back in the 80s. not Including products. Different products and way investments are packaged. The only thing that's the same today as it was in the 80s is Wall Street has not changed. I would say they are the same group of people they were in the 70s when I went in and became a broker. They have never changed. Their job is to sell product. Their job is to make money for the firms they work for. They hope their clients make money. That has never changed. They are always going to give the client what the client will buy. Not necessarily what the client should be buying. Or what they need. Or what they need, but they will provide, you know, this explosion of, of annuities came out of fear. That's right. We will live to see why annuities are just another product. Not a product that should be used to the extent that it's been used over the last 20 years and
1: being sold at the pace
4: that it's being sold. So all things will change. I, you know, I do think that we will see an interest again in investing in commodities with commodity prices down as low as they are. You know, to me, if you looked out three or four or five years investing in real things. As far as commodities, to me, would look like a good thing.
1: But I think if you run the exercise that we talked about earlier this hour about figuring out what your monthly expenses are, looking at your nest egg, and if you're having to withdraw more than 7% out of your nest egg per year, you need to go back and adjust your budget, your lifestyle, or you're going to have to work longer, And save more before you ride off into the sunset because, again, because of the lower interest rate environment, the lower returns we've been seeing in the stock market, we don't know what it's going to look like 10 years from now. No one does. And even though we're in this bull market, there's going to be many bull markets to come. And as we've always said on this program, retirement is just the 50-yard line. It's not the end zone and so you have to maintain that flexibility you have to maintain active management active oversight of the portfolio as we have always preached going on almost 10 years on the money wise program here on 1360 KKTX you you have to be in a balanced portfolio and balanced means different things at different parts in the market at different times in the market cycle right now 60 40
4: Could be 50-50. Could be 70-30 stocks to bonds. And the reason it's 60-40 or 60-35 or whatever has to do with the fact that we've had this run in the stock market, and as the stock market gets higher, obviously we're due a correction. It's been a a few years since we've had a 10% correction. So when you see things like that, you have to have the flexibility to adjust. The balanced portfolio today... Is totally different than what the balance portfolio would have been in 1989 when when I started the firm. The returns are totally different. The environment is totally different. But it's and, the, and that'll
1: be the same in the future too, Dad.
4: But it's the flexibility that comes from that philosophy. That's right. And and
1: and again, you need to run these exercises. I cannot stress them enough. You have to sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil, and really work these numbers out to see if you're close to being able to retire. And if not, you need to be paying yourself more first and get your expenses down. And if there's anything we can do to help you here at Davidson Capital Management, you can give us a call at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program from my father, John. This is Kyle Davidson saying, Have a fantastic weekend into your financial health. We will talk to you next week.